We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the middle of our series, Philippians. A study through this letter and its powerful application to our lives and becoming more like Christ. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. Clovis Chappelle, the great Methodist preacher, once told the story about a pilot who flew around the world. After he had been gone in the air for about two hours, he noticed some noise in the plane that was unusual, and he recognized it as the sound of a rat. He realized that when he was at his last landing stop to refuel, a rat must have snuck into his plane. And now, who knows what it was doing? He was. It could be gnawing through vital cables or wiring in the plane. This caused the pilot some serious concern and anxiety. What was he going to do? It was two hours back to the last landing field and over two hours to the next landing field. Then he realized something. A rat is a rodent, and a rodent isn't made to live in the air, but it's made to live on the ground and under the ground. So the pilot decided he would climb into the air. And before you know it, he was 20,000 feet in the air. And the gnawing ceased. The rat was dead. The rat couldn't survive in the heights of the upper atmosphere of the sky. Pilot safely landed at the next landing field and found the dead rat. Brothers and sisters in Christ, worry is a rodent can't live in the secret place of the Most High. It can't breathe in the atmosphere made vital by prayer and familiarity with the Scriptures. Worry, worry dies when we ascend to the Lord through prayer and His Word. For many of us, worry and anxiety are constant companions, or at least well-known acquaintances. You know that feeling you get that knot in your stomach when you get a voicemail from your doctor? And you start to worry, and all these thoughts start to spiral down. Is it something serious? Or that dry mouth you may start to get when you get to work, only to realize that you forgot to complete that expense report that your boss asked you to turn in today. And then you start to worry, am I going to get fired? Or you get to school, and all of a sudden you feel this tension in your shoulders, and you're like, oh, I forgot to bring the paper that's supposed to be due today. I'm going to get an F in that paper and I'm going to fail this class. And your thoughts start to spiral further and further down. Or you start to feel the slight ache and the low-grade fever and the sniffles and you worry, do I have COVID? This is the last week of our series, Becoming. As we spent the last five weeks looking through Philippians, a letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi. And the question that we've been asking is, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Our lives are moving forward every day toward a goal, a trajectory, a future. What we do, the things we think about, and where we place our focus will determine the direction and the destination of our life. We're going to look at today's text uh, it was read earlier, but I encourage you to open your Bibles, whether digital or uh, paper, and read with me as we read through Philippians 4, 
verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In the letter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul encourages that in us that in every situation and in every circumstance, no matter what obstacles or challenges or hardships we face, our goal and our aim is to become more like Jesus. When you find yourself facing anxiety and worry? Who are you becoming? Are you giving into the flesh and numbing the anxiety and worry? Or are you, like Paul, choosing to rejoice in all circumstances? If anybody had reason to worry, it was the Apostle Paul. His beloved brothers and sisters at the Church of Philippi were in opposition to one another, and he wasn't there to help them. There was a division, a potential division, being caused by a disagreement between two sisters in Christ who were partners in the gospel uh, with Paul. And it was such a big issue that Paul actually wrote about it in this letter that was going to be read publicly to the whole church. Not only was there a potential division in the church in Philippi, there was a division among the believers in Rome. And on top of that, Paul had to worry about his own life and the potential of his own death. You see, Paul wrote this letter while he was in a prison in Rome. And if you remember, Galen talked about this in one of his sermons, the prisons in Rome are not like the prisons here in the U.S. There is no caring for the prisoners in Rome. Basically, if you didn't have any family or friends to tend to you, you could easily waste away in the prison. Not only that, your life or your death was really at the whim of the emperor. So Paul had more than enough on his plate to cause him to struggle with worry, fear, and anxiety. But he didn't. Instead, he gave us some practical advice to help us to overcome worry. But what is worry? The Greek word translated anxious in Philippians 4.6 means to be pulled in different directions. Our hope pulls us in one direction, and our fears pull us in the opposite direction. And we're pulled apart, according to Warren Wiersbe. He writes that the old English root that we get the word worry from means to strangle. If you've ever struggled with worry, you know how it can feel like it's strangling you. And worry has a whole host of other physical manifestations, such as headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even back pains also affects your thinking and even your coordination. Just as I was preparing for this sermon, I found myself struggling with worry and anxiety, hoping that I could accurately convey God's heart and truth for our congregation while fighting my fears of my own inadequacies. 
At times, the opposing, opposing emotions felt like they were pulling me apart, and I could feel the tension in my shoulders, and I could feel the lack of focus in my thinking. Throughout Philippians, Paul exhorts his audience to live up to what they've already attained. We are citizens of heaven, he's telling us, God's holy people and sharers in God's grace. The good work that God began in us, God will bring to completion. And Paul is encouraging us to start living like children of God who have the Holy Spirit within us, the same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I don't want to minimize the impact of worrying and specifically anxiety. I know it can be paralyzing. I know it can ruin relationships. I know it can make trusting others hard, and it can feel out of your control. Worrying is a natural emotion, perhaps a result of the fall. But as children of God, how we react to it should reflect who we put our confidence in. Here's a quote by Warren Wiersbe. It says, from a spiritual point of view, worrying is wrong thinking and wrong feeling about circumstances, people, and things. Now, at first, this quote really resonated with me. But as I was sharing the sermon with Susan, my wife, who happens to be a licensed counselor, she reminded me that it's true. The way we think can, can actually affect and contribute to our feelings of worry and anxiety. But the way we feel is always valid. It can never be discounted because that's how that's what you feel. As a natural worrier, I know the impact of worrying, and I know that it can it can and will rob you of your joy. But telling oneself to stop worrying is about as effective as me telling you to stop thinking about a pink elephant. I bet you started thinking about a pink elephant, didn't you? You can't stop thinking by sheer will. It takes a secure mind to conquer the effects of worrying. Philippians 4, 7 reads, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we have a secure mind, the peace of God will guard us and the God of peace will guide us. In order to become more like Christ in how we deal with our worry, we need to have a secure mind that comes only through engaging God in prayer, through transformed thinking, and through right living. Let's look at that first point, praying. Right off the bat, Paul talks about praying. Paul exerts, exhorts his audience to pray. Now, that may seem like an obvious answer. After all, this letter is written by the Apostle Paul. But I want you to consider the significance of prayer in this context. Paul exhorts us to pray when faced with anxiety because we're in a spiritual battle. There is a battle, a spiritual battle going on for our hearts. And the enemy wants to keep us overwhelmed with fear worry, and anxiety, anything to pull us away from God. When we pray, we position ourselves to hear from God, to receive insight from God regarding the root of our worry and anxiety. Now, sometimes worry and anxiety doesn't just stem from opposing emotions. When your hopes pull you in one direction and your fear fears pull you in another, maybe at some point in your life, 
You've internalized a lie from Satan, the father of lies himself. And that's now shaped how you deal with or respond to certain situations. And that trigger elicits the worry and the fear you now feel. For example, every time you decide to take a bold step in life, change your diet to get healthier, join a life group to grow spiritually, things never turn out the way you hope. In fact, they seem to fail miserably. And the enemy steps in and whispers, maybe you weren't meant to succeed after all. So you make this agreement with the kingdom of darkness. I'm never going to put myself in a position to fail again. It's a subtle lie from the enemy, but when you believe it, it un and unwittingly agree with it, that lie becomes a stronghold in your life. Then you get a job after being unemployed for over a year, and worry and stress skyrockets to the point where you're paralyzed, and you keep yourself from scheduling that interview, and you just don't know why you're acting the way you're acting. You see, when Paul speaks about praying, he doesn't just say pray about your worry. He uses three different words for prayer. Praying or with the context in the context of adoration, praying in the context of petition, and praying in the context of thanksgiving. In general terms, praying is simply making your requests known to God, but it also carries with it the idea of adoration, devotion, and worship. When we find ourselves staring worry in the face, prayer sheds light. Adoration helps to put things in perspective. As we put ourselves into God's presence, we experience His greatness and His majesty. I want you to look at me at, with uh, look with me at Psalms 139, 1 through 17. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast are the sum, is the sum of them. When we engage God in prayer through the context, in the context of adoration, it helps us to realize that He is big enough 
to solve our, our problems. After all, he's the creator of the universe. He knit us together in our mother's womb, and he sent his only son to rescue us by paying the penalty of our sins through his death and resurrection so that we can have life in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. The second aspect of prayer Paul writes about is petition, earnestly sharing our needs and problems with God. In the book of Mark, we are told the story of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is a blind beggar on the roadside to, towards Jerusalem as Jesus and his caravan were making their way to the holy city. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was walking past, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd that was traveling with Jesus tried to shush Bartimaeus and tell him to be quiet. They rebuked him for his outburst. But Bartimaeus was not deterred and cried out even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the result was that Jesus stopped and called for him and healed him. In his book, or in the context of prayer rather, Brian Zahn in his book, The Unvarnished Jesus, had to say this about Bartimaeus. We could stand to be more like Bartimaeus. As we continue in our Christian life, we may experience enough disappointments in prayer that we slip into praying safe prayers. Prayers that never risk disappointment. We no longer pray boldly like Bartimaeus. Instead, we pray careful prayers, prayers that are so vague and ambiguous that we would be hard-pressed to tell whether or not they were ever answered. If we ask Jesus to specifically act in our life, we may indeed experience some disappointment, he goes on to say, if our prayer is not answered as we hoped. But Jesus can help us bear that disappointment, and the Spirit can alert us to the to unanticipated ways in which God is at work in our lives. The third aspect of prayer Paul writes about is thanksgiving. As a father, I definitely appreciate when my children say thank you. And I imagine that God enjoys it when his children say thank you. After all, in Ephesians 5.20 and in Colossians 3.17, we are told to always give thanks to God, the Father, for everything. In the story of the ten leopards, Jesus heals all of them, but only one returns to give thanks. And this is how Jesus responded. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Sometimes we are more eager to ask and much slower to appreciate God's answers. Paul admonishes his audience to bring everything before God in prayer, not just the big things, but the little things too. If God is the good Father that He says He is in Scripture, then why wouldn't He care about the little things as much as He cares about the big things of our lives? Talking to God about everything that worries us is the first step towards victory over worry and becoming more like Christ. And we are promised that when we do that, God's peace will guard our hearts and minds. How ironic that Paul uses this analogy. He was probably writing this as he sat chained to a Roman soldier, guarding him 24-7. Let's go back to that picture of Paul in prison here. I imagine him having a little chuckle as he wrote 
to the church in Philippi, chained to a Roman soldier. Little did the Roman soldier know the peace that Paul was experiencing. Despite his circumstances, which could easily elicit fear, worry, and anxiety, the peace of God was standing guard over Paul's heart and over his mind, which are the two areas where worry can stem from. You've been there. A feeling of worry about a specific situation emerges in your heart, and then your mind takes over, and you start spiraling, spiraling down this rabbit trail of anxiety and fear. When we bring everything to God in prayer, we are promised a supernatural peace, not an absence of trials on the outside, but a peace and a quiet confidence within, no matter the circumstances we face. Now, I've shared this story many times, and I know my kids say I share it too much, but after Hannah was born, you know, Susan, my wife, went into a severe postpartum depression, so much so that she had to be hospitalized. And it was a crazy season in our lives. On a given day, I would wake up and care for Hannah as an infant, then hand her over to my mother-in-law who came in from Spain to help us out. Then I would go to work and I would visit Susan at lunch while she was, because she was on the psychiatric floor at the hospital that I work at. And then I would go home, have dinner, then take Hannah back to the hospital so that Susan could have time with her newborn. It was such a crazy time and so much of it is still a blur to me. But one thing I remember distinctly, one of my coworkers marveled at how I was handling all this craziness. And I only remember saying that it was only by God's supernatural peace that I was able to make it through the season. God's supernatural peace was guarding my heart and my mind. Without that, I would have easily been succumbed by worry and fear and anxiety. There's a quote that many of you may have seen before on bumper stickers or other kind of written media. No God, no peace. But no God, no peace. And it's so true. When we know God, He promises us a supernatural peace that we can't explain, but that we can only receive and thank Him for. Another tip or practical bit of advice that Paul gives his audience about overcoming fear or worry and anxiety is through transformed thinking. Working as a physical therapist, I see people at their worst and their lowest points in their lives. Many times I'm working with people who felt they were invincible. They were on the top of their game. They were uh, in charge of multi-million dollar contracts or CEOs or even just uh, teachers or parents who were doing well in life. And now they can't move half of their body because they've suffered a life-changing stroke. Now, I've been working as a physical therapist for over 21 years, and I can tell you, with therapy, most of these patients do recover to some level where they can return home with help, and some of them even fully become fully independent again. However, I found that the biggest struggle is not getting their brain to send the signals to their muscles so they can get up and walk. Sometimes the biggest struggle is getting them to believe that they can. Our mind is a very powerful organ, and if someone doesn't have hope or believe they can get better, 
no amount of, or, or of encouragement or therapy on my part would help them improve. The same can be said with when dealing with anxiety and worry. Wrong thinking can negatively impact our feelings and lead us down a spiraling tunnel of thoughts and fears. We are exhorted in Scripture to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I like this quote from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He's an American poet and philosopher. And he wrote, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So in his closing remarks to this, of this letter, Paul spells out in detail what transformed thinking looks like. And it starts with thinking about whatever is true. In a study that was completed well over 40 years ago by Dr. Walter Calvert, thousands of people were interviewed about their perception of worry in their lives. And this was the breakdown. 30% of our worries are about events in the past. 40% of our worries are about things that never happened. 12% of our worries are unfounded health concerns. 10% of our worries are over minor and trivial issues. Only 8% of our worries are real, legitimate issues. Only 8%. Satan is a liar and he wants to feed us his lies. He knows that the lies hold power to sway us and pull us away from God. John 8:44 has this to say about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In 2 Corinthians 11.3 has this to say, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit controls our minds through truth, but the devil tries to control our minds through lies. When faced with worry and anxiety, one strategy to overcome worry is to replace the lie with the truth, the truth of God's Word. So think about whatever is true. And also, think about whatever is noble, honorable, or right, or basically what is worthy of respect. You and I know there are many things in this world that are not worthy of respect and they are definitely not right. As followers of Jesus, right thinking involves being very careful about what we feed our minds. Should we be watching the latest Netflix drama or reality TV show? Or should we be listening to that particular band or reading that book on the New York Times bestseller list? Now, Paul is not exhorting us to live in a bubble, but he definitely is wanting us to be wise in what we fill our minds with. We're to think about whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Basically, we're to think about thoughts that are life-giving, inspiring, and worth talking about, not the base thoughts of this corrupt world that we live in. We're supposed to think about anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, Warren Wiersbe writes, No Christian can afford to waste mind power on thoughts that tear him down or that would tear others down if these thoughts were shared. Let's look at Psalms 19, 7-14. 
It says the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the cone. They are a warning to your servant and a great reward to those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we regularly feed on the word of God, we are given insight for living and we are better equipped to detect wrong thinking. However, I will say, sometimes we may find ourselves stuck dealing with anxiety and worry that overwhelms and paralyzes us no matter how much we pray or how much we correct our wrong thinking. In those situations, we may need professional help to better understand our own story, or we may need help in learning how to engage and break spiritual strongholds in our life. Finally, Paul exhorts us to conquer and overcome worry through right living. He tells his audience to take everything they have learned or heard or seen in his life and put it into practice. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Luke 6.45 reads, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You can't separate outward living from an inward attitude unless your conscience is hardened. Sin always leads to unrest, and purity should result in peace. Just read Psalms 51, and you can feel the unrest and anguish that David was feeling after he had committed his sin with Bathsheba. Isaiah 32:17 reads, Doing what is right will bring peace and rest. When my people do that, they will stay calm and trust in the Lord forever. According to the scriptures, right living is a prerequisite for experiencing the peace of God. And when we are living up to what we've already attained, then we are promised that the God of peace will be with us. It's one thing to learn from Paul and what he's taught, but it's another thing to receive it to actually allow the truth to transform how you think and act. Who are we becoming in the face of worry and anxiety? Are we succumbing to the influence of worry and anxiety in our lives, becoming paralyzed by it or numbing it with other destructive distractions and hoping it will go away? Or are we living to what we've already attained in Christ and developing a a secure mind through engaging God in prayer, through transformed thinking, and through right living. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety is the most common form of mental illness affecting approximately 40 million American adults. Now I know everyone that's listening this morning has experienced 
anxiety at some level and at some point in your life. So learning to live with one's anxiety is an important skill. In this closing exhortation at the end of the letter to the Philippians, Paul gives us practical and biblical tips for overcoming worry and anxiety. And it begins by engaging God in prayer. When faced with worry and anxiety, we need to acknowledge it and bring it to the Lord in prayer. We need to get before God in prayer and talk to our Heavenly Daddy. He actually he wants to hear from us. He wants to speak to us. After all, He saved us to have a conversational relationship with Him. And it, we overcome worry and fear through transformed thinking, allowing God's Word to inform our minds and guide us into all truth. We want to replace, we need to replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's Word. And you can only do this by feeding on God's Word regularly. And finally, we overcome worry and anxiety through right living. Receive God's truth and let it penetrate your hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. And let it reflect, be reflected in your actions. Be in accountability with other believers, whether in a life group, a mentoring relationship, or a counseling relationship, where you're willing to be transparent and invite others to speak into your life. Let's heed Paul's words. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.